0: Welcome to the Future of Data Centers, a mini podcast series from the viewpoint of server farmers and data growers. In this sustainability-focused series, hear from industry experts as they guide IT leaders on an important journey to combat climate change.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Joel McCower, Chairman and Executive Editor of Green Biz, your host for this sustainability-focused miniseries with Arun Chenoy, Vice President of Sales and Marketing, and Sam Brown, Vice President of Engineering and Construction of Server Farm, along with journalist and writer Ambrose McNevin. Today, we bring you the second episode of our three-part miniseries on the critical and sometimes controversial topic of data centers and sustainability. The topic of today's episode is lights out data centers. There's been a lot of talk about every data center going lights out in the future. What's that all about? Is that a lot of hype? Are fully automated lights out data centers living up to that hype? But before we blast off a little pre-flight checklist, I wanna find out the latest news from your respective neck of the woods. Uh, Aaron, let's uh, find out about sustainability news uh,
2: out of the UK. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Um, I I kind of wanted to pick uh, sort of three items, and they don't happen, or or they're not data center specific, but they effectively serve as the umbrella of ultimately what, you know, every industry is aiming for. Um, And sort of thinking about as the UK and and our our sort of close neighbors, um, I think most uh, people have heard of the EU Green Deal, uh, that focuses on achieving, uh, you know, climate net zero by, uh, by 2050. Uh, the UK actually has a slightly more ambitious target uh, to do the same by 2045. And I think, interestingly enough, was the sort of first economy, the first major economy in the world, you know, to really make what, you know, at least from, from today's point of view, looks like, you know, a very, very solid commitment. Um, and I think that... That sort of theme in general, so governments and organizations, the, you know, the United Nations, getting together to make those pledges is a very, very important first step. It is, by the way, the tiniest of important first steps, uh, because ultimately they're words, it's a pledge, it's a piece of paper, and it becomes our responsibility in the context of our, uh, you know, our sort of climate stewardship, uh, you know, to go and implement those things and and we'll talk about you know, some of those things that we're going to be doing. And one final point, the, you know, the UK is hosting uh, COP26 uh, this year in November. Uh, so I think that's going to bring a lot of attention, you know, to to this part of the world. Um, with everything that went on with the, you know, the Paris Climate Agreement um, and the fact that the US rejoined, which I think is is fantastically welcome news, uh, I think it's going to be particularly important uh, and interesting this year.
1: Yeah, and I look forward to uh, to being there in Glasgow at uh, COP26. But let's uh, go across the pond to you, Sam. What, how do things
0: look uh, stateside from
1: sustainability news as it relates to data centers?
0: Yeah, I think um, the most interesting news is that there isn't much news right now. It's uh, coming up on our new president's first 100 days in office. Aaron mentioned we've rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. Um, I think everyone is sort of waiting to see what you know, a more environmentally focused administration is going to um, wind up uh, implementing and and how that's gonna trickle down to, uh, to the data center sector. So yeah, we're all waiting to see what happens.
1: So let's talk about lights out data centers. That's a concept that's been around for a while. In fact, it actually dates back to good old AOL days. Um, but the, recently the term has been uh, emerging globally Talk a little bit about, uh, or on, uh, talk a little bit about what Lights Out Data Center is, and and what does it have to do with sustainability?
2: Well, I'm a relatively simple person, so I, I thought I'd go back to why do lights exist in a data center? <laughs> <laughs> if there are lights, why turn them out? Well, the reason for lights is for people, so that they could see where they're going. Um, and part of the reason for that, and and a very big reason, by the way is that data centers going back 15 or 20 or even longer years were generally speaking very heavily staffed environments and they were really very heavily staffed for a whole raft of reasons primarily because the ability for any organization or individual to have visibility of what was going on in the infrastructure was so limited that the only way they could be comfortable that things were working properly is that they could go in and have a look. And by the way, when we talk about lights, it's actually interesting to talk about where are the lights in a data center? Well, the lights are obviously in the room, but there are also lights on things. There are lights on servers and there are lights on storage arrays and lights on network ports. All of those lights only exist so that somebody can look at them. Um, So that then helps us define what is meant by lights out lights out as it correctly does implies that there are no people in the data center that then further implies that the data is somehow data center is somehow autonomous its systems work uh, without the need for too much human intervention they present that information to people remotely so that there's so many individuals that had the need to be in the data center now no, no longer have that need because they have enough confidence in everything running as it should. Clearly, however, I'm talking about the future because we are quite some way from that. There are some types of environments where it can be reasonably um, deployed, it can be reasonably run as a lights-out operation, but those are a very, very tiny fraction of, of today's infrastructure. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, the rest of this discussion to say, you know, how do we get there? How do we get there faster? What needs to happen? Uh, we have a whole bunch of, you know, topics in this conversation, you know, that all need to progress and develop over time, uh, you know, for us, to, for us to achieve this outcome.
1: Well, that sounds like a good question for Sam. Uh, so Sam, how does the industry ramp up and reconfigure the infrastructure Um, And and how does that happen in in, in critical sectors? Are there data center management services that would even support this?
0: Yeah, I think um, we're seeing a lot of customers start taking ownership of their deployments within co-location facilities by, um, you know, taking the, when I say take control, they're they're taking some of the facility aspects away from the um, data center provider and, and taking it on themselves, like battery autonomy. Um, you know, making sure that they are uh, the ones in the driver's seat and they're getting maximum visibility into um, you know, generally speaking, just power cooling, uh, power and cooling being available at at their at their uh, infrastructure, but I would say that, you know, it's never going to go away entirely. And I think there are absolutely processes and services that are in place. Um, You know, we use a platform called in command that, you know, we use to drive some serious data analytics as far as uh, availability and capacity. So, yeah, I I think that there are a lot of ways to do it, but really it comes down to process, Um, you know, on the front end and, and, you know, the platforms that are available to the landlords to to make sure that uh, the processes are being run effectively.
1: So, Ambrose, uh, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Initially, I'd say that when talking to IT directors of of old school and CIOs of the new school, a lot of them would be amazed there were any lights in the data center to begin with. Uh, Often they were so separated from the Physical infrastructure, because they they would consider it that engineers, mechanical and electrical, were so abstracted from what their, their business was, uh, that that they would be amazed that we haven't already running, we're not already running black box data centers that are fully autonomous. However, the reality is that for the vast majority of, of data centers, is there are people walking around with clipboards, writing things down to make sure things still work and looking at how you know, when was the last time they, they were maintained? When is the next maintenance round that has to be done? You know, tapping things on racks and saying, you know, is this thing actually working? Um, but I think we're on the journey now. I think there is a coming together for IT and, and, and FM, as it used to be called, but the, uh, the M&E function, where there's a much greater understanding of what hap- what happens there. And I think that's going to facilitate the journey to a lights out data center.
1: So note to self, I'm going to sell all of my stock in clipboard companies uh, for sure. Um, But let's get into, well, so how is this all going to happen without people? I imagine, uh, and and Ambrose, I'm going to stick with you for a second. What's the role of analytics, AI, machine learning, robotics? Uh,
3: What's their role in the future uh, Lights Out Data Center? Um. I think there's a there's a definition I would, I would bring in um, from uh, IBM of what a next generation data center is, and again this could, could pulls into you know IBM purely the clearly the, the world's leading AI company uh, um, and certainly the first through the door um, on that, um, and they, they go for software defined a software defined environment uh, change the rules governing how resources are deployed. Literally programming in an organization's business objectives. So if you think about that, that's quite a huge statement for what you what we're actually talking about here is is changing the physical uh, uh, aspects and operations or the operations of physical machines uh, by programming into it what the business outcome has to be. And I think if I may, from a server firm perspective, you know we're talking about virtualized infrastructure operations and programming in. How those resources can be run in the right place at the right time to serve the business, and that's to meet efficiency, cost, and sustainability objectives. Um, and that that really does mean not just inside a data center, moving things from one server to another, but even moving things from one data center to another. I think that's where that's where we're going with this. And I think AI and automation uh, uh, will play an increasing part of that. But I don't think that it, it, you don't need AI. In order to actually start delivering that now,
1: do you agree, Arun? Uh, we don't really need uh, as much technology as it would. It would seem to me we would need, given that we've taken people largely out of the equation.
2: It, it, uh, no, so I do agree, um, and the the role of technology is, is is paramount. But Ambrose is absolutely right. It's not just about technology; it's also about process. Um, one of the reasons, um, you know, and we often talk about, you know, the, the skills in our particular industry being, you know, either in short supply or not supplied adequately well in in certain parts of the industry. Um, I think over, let's say, the last thirty years, we've somewhat become dependent on individuals and the knowledge that they possess within themselves and that's because the data center industry compared to let's say other mission critical environments whether it's hospitals or oil and gas refineries or nuclear power stations is actually quite immature compared to those industries those industries don't use ai to control you know things in in let's say you know utility production plants or hospitals they do to a certain extent in terms of monitoring information closed-loop control of of sort of smaller systems. Um, And I want to come back to, you know, what what Amber said in terms of, you know, sort of IBM's prediction of, of, you know, where they see this moving. But a big part of this is really making sure that there is sufficient process that defines how infrastructure is run. And let's use the airline industry as an example. You know, do you need skilled operators in the airline industry? Absolutely, you do. Do you need skilled engineers and skilled maintenance people? Absolutely, you do. Is there any substitute for them? None whatsoever. But every single one of them is completely and utterly governed by process. There is no, oh, I think this might work. Let me give it a try. That doesn't exist. Uh, And that is because there's a whole bunch of reasons, but the, the cost of failure is just too horrible to bear. Whereas the cost of failure in an IT environment is, it's different. You know, to a certain extent, for you know, and I might be being you know a little bit controversial here, but for the last thirty or so years, it's sort of been not okay to fail, but people don't get found out because the process doesn't allow good root cause analysis to be done, and so on and so forth. And a lot of that, as I said, is process but it is also supplemented by technology. Having the right data, knowing what is going on in an environment, being able to backtrace things, technology absolutely helps. But I did also want to talk about people. Um, And Sam talked about it earlier. We're not going to get to a place where especially larger facilities can be entirely people free. In the same way that large you know utility production systems or oil and gas refineries are not people free either you do need some local capability that is able to to troubleshoot or you know or think about solutions you know for 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 sort of problems as they arise especially problems that might you know might not have been not might not have been foreseen so piggybacking on what
0: um Ambrose and and Aaron said, I think that, I think there is a place for AI in in the data center, but I think it's more in the predictive analytics side of life. Um, I think if you start applying, and this would require some open communication between um people that you know our peer group that doesn't typically openly communicate um but if if that were to happen and being able to use ai to do predictive analytics to figure out when a piece of equipment is going to fail not just relying on the manufacturers right not just saying okay an air-cooled chiller is has a 20-year life you know if it's properly maintained it's you know you can actually look at things and and uh different key performance indicators to to really um I guess give you more insight into into when something's going to go wrong, and you can take you know be proactive in mitigating that uh, potential impact. So that for what it's worth,
1: one of the other trends uh, out there, of course, for a long time now, is uh, the the edge computing and edge data centers, you know, uh, driven, of course, by the demand for for low latency. So Sam, sticking with you. What's the connection between that and the lights out concept?
0: Yeah, I think when you talk about edge data centers, those are probably the the best. That's probably the baseline for lights out data centers. There are for, for it to be truly edge and doing content delivery or caching or whatever it, it needs to do for these different services. You have to be distributed really well um, within let's just look at like a, a metropolitan area, like in Chicago, you know, you, a, a company that is delivering streaming service is going to have multiple instances, you know, speckled throughout the, the landscape of, of Chicago. And, and if one goes down, the others are going to be able to pick it up. So they really just don't need a lot of, they don't need a lot of oversight. Um, you'll you'll find that not all of them are that because they need so many um you know there are going to be services that exist in traditional co-location environments but there's also going to be services that exist or, or present they'll have presence in um you know class c office buildings that just happen to have you know a little space for uh, a little extra power and space for cooling and a few cabinets so um yeah i, th- I think that they're the best yeah yeah absolute. Best case for uh, baseline case for
2: for Lights Out data centers.
1: Aaron, any thoughts on uh, Lights Out as as it relates to edge?
2: It, I, I think similar to to Sam, and um, and I think the, the the sort of you know I guess the rough equation in my mind, at the very smallest unit of compute, an edge facility can be entirely Lights Out. Now, Lights Out and automation and you know the use of AI doesn't mean that it's going to be 100% reliable it's just that the architecture of that environment has been designed in such a way that the well, well two things firstly the cost of that location is extremely low it's very tight um, you know in terms of the difference between making and losing money so the application of people in terms of operations doesn't help financially so the design of that kind of architecture can accommodate the failure of a single unit. In other words, a unit can fail, an edge facility can fail. It's okay if the replacement turns up a day or two later, because the rest of the environment is is able to you know to accommodate that failure. As you go up in terms of size, you know the bigger the facility, the more complicated a facility, the more likely it is to have uh, you know on-site people. Um, and the equation tends to stack up relatively well. So once you get to, you know, a sort of a few hundred racks, um, the economies of those facilities lend themselves to having people on site. Now, I'm not suggesting that you put people on site just because the economy is demanded, but the infrastructure has that demand as well. So once, uh, you know, once a facility gets to a certain size, it inherits a certain level of complexity not all of those problems associated with the complexity can be solved you know, through automation and AI.
1: We've only briefly touched on the power, but of course uh, the energy cost of a data center is the, the bottom line as it relates to environmental impact and, and probably a lot of the financial impact. Um, Sam, what is the correlation between a lights out data center and, and what's its contribution to, it, to uh, reducing its environmental impact?
0: That's a really interesting question. Um, it, I, obviously you can talk about just what's going on in the facility. I think it it ties more to, you know, a Lights Out data center, you are gonna be doing less maintenance. You're gonna be doing, you know, facilities teams aren't gonna be traveling to the site every day. Um, there's just sort of an overall um, reduced carbon footprint, but it's not like you're gonna, if I'm being honest, it's not going to be that much less. I mean, when you're talking about operational carbon um, you know, the 20 megawatts worth of UPS systems are going to drown, you know, the, the potential impacts I think of, of a lights out facility. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a popular opinion, but it's, it's certainly uh, I I think that's the reality of it. Um, So um, yeah, that's my thought.
3: Yeah. Ambrose, do you agree with that? We're still looking for a, a definition of edge from a data center perspective that covers every eventuality, and there is a good, there's some good reports coming. I mean, Ashray did a good edge data center report in terms of sustainability and what it looks like, but if an edge data center can be something that sits in a 5G cell tower or sits in a brick built environment next to a hospital or another facility or on a roof somewhere or is on a sidewalk. You know, that's a huge number of of, of variables in terms of what what you're talking about. But I think to Sam's point, um, they have to be lights out by definition, because if you have to maintain them and have a a high touch intervention based maintenance program, which is not going to work because it probably won't be cost effective, um, then Every time you open the door on one of those in a harsh environment next to a road with trucks rolling by you're actually increasing the risk uh, of, of it going down you' you're not you know adding to the fact that it's going to you know, uh, its maintainability or its operations uptime is, is going to continue and thereby you're introducing new sustainability uh, uh risks as, as well mm. um so whether they're factory built commoditized and then you know repeatable and you know kind of stamped out and then done that but i think one of the key things about it is about the idea of remote management. Edge data centers and remote management go hand in hand for delivering those sustainability or keeping the sustainability uh, meeting the sustainability objectives, so that you do maximize the utilization, you maximize the efficiency, and then you know what's going on inside the edge data center, whatever type it is.
2: Yeah, Aaron, I'll give you the last word on this. Uh, Just to build on what Ambrose said, um, and and you know the, the the sort of build on the on the on the sort of topic of remote management. An edge environment is where the remote management of the IT environment and the remote management of, let's call it the facility environment, are most closely matched with each other. And that's because both of those two things are very likely going to be in that place for exactly the same length of time. So actually, from a sustainability perspective, it should be argued that if someone If an organization that that owns and deploys edge infrastructure has done a good job designing the architecture, then the life cycle and therefore the complexity of the mechanical electrical side of the equation and the IT equation are matched 100% with each other. And then as you go up the stack, as as facilities become more complex and and bigger in in terms of size and scale those mechanical and electrical systems become more monolithic in their approach. And that's where you you potentially lose some of the sustainability. And therefore, it's a trade-off with size and with distributedness. Because in the size equation, in a large facility, you're going to be deploying electrical infrastructure that has a life cycle of 20 and more years, if you think about generators and large transformers paired with it environment in the same facility it infrastructure in the same facility that has a useful life of maybe 2 to 3 to 5 years at the most so you have a very different set of equations and bringing together the kind of the lights out concepts along with sustainability makes it actually quite a hard trade off so you're almost solving for sustainability and automation at the same time in slightly different ways, depending on the shape and size of the infrastructure. So you can be most lights out, and you could argue most sustainable at the front end in this edge environment, but I would caution one thing. That is an environment that is absolutely open to our sort of throwaway, let's call it abuse culture, that might be too strong a term. But it is too tempting, I think, for us to deploy infrastructure like that. And when we're finished with it, just to get rid of it. So I think there's a lot to be said for those solutions having to take into account from a sustainability perspective, a very, very strong kind of circular economy concept of what happens with that IT infrastructure. Can it be waterfalled to a user base that is less dependent on a technology that's like two seconds old? and are comfortable with servers that are three years old. And guess what? The world is full of application opportunities for that type of infrastructure. And by the way, there are lots of companies that are now starting to to really leverage that as a model, um, which, again, from a sustainability perspective, is incredibly important and goes back to, you know, our, our sort of three main concepts, right? Reuse, recycle, and reduce, Um, And the more we can do, especially of the first two, uh, you know, the more sustainable we can be.
1: Wow, what a great conversation. But before we go lights out on this episode, uh, let's take a quick uh, uh, flashback journey uh, on your your own data center journeys. Uh, Aaron, what's your first data center?
2: Oh, that is a good question. My first data center was a small... Test facility uh, when I worked for IBM in 1986, 87, um, where we were we were we were trying our storage systems and how to make them more efficient and more reliable and so that yeah that was my that was my first experience of the sort of coming together of you know of the of the IT discipline and the the mechanical and electrical discipline yeah uh, by the way two two very very different foreign languages compared to each other yeah
1: i guess so well sam uh who talk about somebody who mentored you or maybe someone that you mentored? can you give him a shout out
0: sure um yeah there uh, a guy that I actually still work with or the comp- he's involved in a company that I still work with but uh dave hall um we've worked together for five or six years and he, I think he's the president or CEO of clean now. Um, but he, he told me a long time ago, uh, that you always put, uh, always put family first in this business, that he's seen a lot of, a lot of, um, people not do that. And, uh, the harsh sort of impacts that, that, that can bring to bear on, you know, your life. So yeah, I think his exact quote was something like, they all get built, you know, whether you're there or not, it's probably still going to happen. So, you know, make sure you have your priorities straight. So yeah, Dave, thank you, Dave.
1: Great advice probably for anyone in any business, but it sounds like uh, in this one in particular, well, we'll put a wrap on this. Thanks for joining us, Aaron, Sam, and Ambrose. Is it talking about what lies ahead for sustainability and the data center industry?
0: For more insightful episodes of the future of data centers, be sure to check out serverfarmllc.com forward slash podcasts for additional episodes available on demand, as well as other upcoming mini podcast series.